Welcome to Relevant Faith Church. My name is Mike Wolmer. I'm the lead pastor here at Relevant Faith, and I am so excited that you have tuned in online to listen to our message. We had a few technical difficulties, so we're going to join this message in progress. This is a continuation of our series called Game Changers with Part 2, Pain. I believe that the pain that we experience, the pain that we that comes upon us, whether by our own doing or by just natural order of things or by what somebody else has done, I believe it's one of the greatest opportunities for hope in our lives. That sounds real contradictory. That sounds real ridiculous. And so as we talk about pain this morning, I'm going to share a few very significant, I believe very significant and game-changing truths concerning pain. I believe pain is a great unifier. I believe it brings things together because we've all experienced pain at some point in our lives. No one can actually stand apart and say, I've not experienced pain. Nobody in this room would ever say, I've not experienced pain. So it's one thing that we can all say we are unified by is the fact that we have experienced pain. From everything from a stubbed toe to a broken bone or even a broken heart, we've experienced pain on some level. You know, I believe, I've heard it said before, you are either leaving an ex a season of pain, you are in a season of pain, or you are about to be in a season of pain. I've heard that said before, and I believe that to absolutely be true. And sometimes there's very, very little space in between the three seasons. Sometimes there's no space. Sometimes you just are in pain, you stop being in pain, you enter into another season of pain, you come out of that season of pain, and lo and behold, there you are again. And sometimes life throws things at us like that. And I believe pain is broken down into a lot of different parts. There's physical pain, which is what I joked about concerning myself and even my children. And then there's emotional pain. There is relational pain. And who knows, you might be sitting next to your relational pain. There's financial pain. There's spiritual pain. There's all kinds of pain that we can break pain down. But the, tr the truth of it is this. We all respond differently. And I would believe that we respond in one of two ways. When it comes to pain, we respond in one of two ways. We allow pain to bury us. Meaning it becomes a weight that we cannot get ourselves out from under. The experience and the pain of what we're going through, the pain of what we've experienced in life has weighed us down so much that has kept us from really doing anything else with our hearts and with our lives. I believe that the weight of pain can oftentimes bear us down and we let, allow it to bury us. Or, on the opposite side, I believe oftentimes we end up burying pain. It hurts so much, we just push it down and push it down and push it down. Because after all, as long as I push it down, I'm not experiencing it. As long as I push it down, it's not affecting me. So I'm just going to keep on burying it and burying it. We don't even want to talk about it. I don't know about you, but I've been in many conversations over, over my years as a pastor. And I've heard the phrase, yeah, well, I don't want to talk about that right now. And I get it. It's, it's a painful topic. On both extremes, when you know who God is and you know the character of God, I believe you'll begin to ask God for a better way to deal with pain. I think our perspective on who God is is challenged greatly when it comes to pain. Because I, I think we forget what he's capable of. We forget who he is. We forget what he has said 
he will do for our, his people. And so we're going to unpack what I believe is two game-changing truths in changing our perspective in dealing with pain. And for that, we're going to open up, the book of, open up to the book of John, chapter 11. If you have your Bible, you can open it up. If you have your device, you can flip it, flip it on and turn to that. Or you can look up on the screen. It'll be up there as well. John chapter 11. We're going to be right in verse number one. A very popular story. One that we've all celebrated. One that we've all read and have looked at with this overwhelming encouragement of overcoming and becoming victorious. And so it's the, the story of raising Lazarus from the dead. And so in John chapter 11, verse number 1, this is what the Bible says. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is sick. So let me pause there for just a moment. Do a little bit of a story set up so you can understand what's going on. Jesus receives this letter that says, your dear friend is sick. Some translations say, the one whom you love is sick. Notice, in both, in no matter what the translation is, he's never addressed by his name in that situation. She just sends this notice to Jesus and says, the one that you love, your dear friend, is sick. And so Jesus knows in that moment that Lazarus is sick. He knows exactly who it is. And you would think, right, this is the one whom he loved. And if you think about Scripture and you read Scripture, we know that Jesus loves all. We know that he poured out his life for the salvation of humanity. We know that he loves everyone. But if you read Scripture closely, there are a few that the Bible refers to as, I don't want to necessarily say they're his favorites, but there are people who he was much closer to. More of the what I will refer to as like the David and Jonathan covenant type relationship. Now, I even shared this, I've shared this in other contexts many, many times when it comes to our relationships. We have relationships where it's a large group of people. We have many relationships, friends and confidants and, and acquaintances. We have all these relationships. Then when you narrow it down, you have just a few that you're really close to. And if you want to really think about it, you, you could probably narrow it down to maybe the one or two that it's like a covenant relationship with, meaning that it's a friend that you would die for, literally. And so Jesus had his, he had his 12, he had the three that were the closest to him, but he had the one who never left his side, the one who he was always really, really close to. And that's, that's relationship. And so you would think that his very dear friend, the one the Bible says in whom he loved, when he finds out he is sick, you would think he's only a day and a half away, that he would hit the road immediately. I mean, after all, I mean, when we, when we have that friend and we find out they're sick, what do they do? They, we hit the road immediately. We run to their side because we want to do whatever we can to help them, alleviate their pain or whatever we can do. But that's not what Jesus does. That's not at all what happened. Look at John, verse number six. The Bible says that he stayed where he was for the next two days. So the one he loves, the one whom is a dear friend, he just gets noticed that he's sick, and Jesus is chilling for two more days. It doesn't seem to make sense. It's like, this is the Savior of the world. This is 
this is your friend and this is the one you love. Why are you not beating down the door to go get him? What is, what is that even about? And then he goes, let's jump ahead to verse number 11. And verse 11 through 14, this is what the Bible says. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought he, may, he just might need some rest. I mean, after all, when we go to the doctor and we're sick, what do they say? Get some rest. So they're thinking, he just needs some rest. And then he said, then he said in verse 14, so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And so we have to look at what happened here. So we have Jesus, we have his dear friend Lazarus, we have the one in whom he loves, the, the, he gets a notice that says he is sick, he sits for two more days, Lazarus dies in the process of Jesus sitting for two more days, and then the one that he loves is now dead. And see, what really happened is very simple, is Romans chapter 6 verse 23 is played out. For the wages of sin are death. Not necessarily Lazarus' specific sin is what caused him death, but the Bible's very clear that the wages of sin is death. So perfection was birthed in the garden. God created the heavens and the earth. Everything was perfect. He placed Adam and Eve in perfection. They, through their sin, ushered sin into the world. And because of the sin of man, we have death at our door at any given moment. Whether that's through disease, through accident, through old age, through tragedy, whatever the case may be, death is always around. It's just, it's a part of life. So Romans 6.23 just happened to play out in the life of Lazarus. So this law of sin that equals death has run its course, and this really seems like bad news, but the reality is this is good news for us today. I believe this is game-changing pain perspective that you're about to receive. That this, I, I truly believe that this could change the way you look at your life and to look at pain. And I only say that because like I always say when I preach, I preach first to myself. And if y'all want to jump on what I'm preaching, then that's great. But this is, this is hitting me in my heart and which is why I hope and trust and believe that it will hit yours as well. So the very first game-changing truth about pain that I want to share with you is simply this. It'll be up on the screen. It's also in your notes that you received when you walked in. Your personal circumstances are not, hear me now, they are not evidence of how God feels about you. One of the most overwhelming experiences and conversations that I hear is, why would God do this to me? But your pain, your circumstance is not, N-O-T, where is that? See that word's all caps. It's not evidence of how God feels about you. Because Jesus loved Lazarus. That was his dear friend. That was in one whom he loved. And Lazarus has experienced pain. Lazarus has been sick and Lazarus has died. And if you've been in a difficult situation, you may have viewed that pain or that circumstance as being how God sees you. 
Matter of fact, there are some churches that would tell you, and I only know this to be true because I've face-to-face have encountered it, but there are some churches that would tell you it's because of your sin that you are sick. It's because God is angry with you, and that's why you're sick right now. And that kind of theology ticks me off a little bit. So I'll tell you a really quick story concerning that. I was a youth pastor. I was in Laredo, Texas, and I took about 13 teenagers on a mission trip to El Salvador. We were going there, we were doing kids ministry, we were building a church, we were doing all kinds of really cool things. We were going into the town squares, and we were doing dramas and what's called human videos, where we do human actions to music, and and we were having this powerful time, and one of my students got sick. It wasn't his sin, it was his stupidity. He was told, don't drink the water. Your body is not built up to handle the what's in there in the water, so you will get sick. And guess what he did? He drank the water. After all, there was a cup on the sink, so it must be for water. Let me turn the faucet on and drink the water. It was, <laughs> it, it was a messy situation. So there's another group on this very same trip with this very same missionary group that I knew. And He came up to the kid while he was trying to find something for breakfast that might actually sit in his stomach. And here is a 14-year-old boy, a 40-plus-year-old man. And this 40-plus-year-old man tells this 14-year-old boy, it's your sin that's made you sick. God's angry with you. And I'm like 10 feet away. And I'm like, did he really just say that to a 14-year-old kid? And all of a sudden, I start to get a little frustrated. I was like, sir, excuse me, are you stupid or something? And he just looks at me. And, uh, and the argument did not go very well in my favor. I responded very poorly to that situation. You know, so that's not how God views your illness. Sometimes you just get sick because you're sick. It's the condition of the world that we live in. Now, can our lifestyle lead to sickness and illness? Absolutely. But that's not to suggest it has. And it definitely does not suggest that's how God feels about you. Nowhere in Scripture can you find that. You can only find the way. You want to know how God feels about you? It's very simple. Christ died on a cross for you. That's how God feels about you. To, uh, to make, add anything else to it would be unbiblical. And so it's not how God sees you. Because it's, it's, here's, here's, here's what happens in, in the Christian community and in the world outside of Christianity. Things are going so well, and you see Facebook and Instagram and Twitter loaded with hashtag God loves me, hashtag he won't tell me he won't do it, hashtag I'm favored, I'm his child, I'm his son, I'm his daughter. We will blow up Facebook because God is on the move and doing these things that we can see and sense and we can feel and man he is he is king and he is on the throne and then all of a sudden something happens and then it's hashtag where did he go hashtag why does God hate me hashtag I can't do it any longer and we go from one extreme to the next we have this roller coaster and so your circumstance hear me now please because it's affecting people right here in this room for certain your circumstance cannot be the thermometer of how God feels about you 
Because if that was the true, if that was truth, my God would be bipolar schizophrenic. Because I would be, uh, I would be high one day, low the next, literally from one day to the next. Because there's some days that I'm like, God is, oh, he's doing things in my life and it's, it's amazing and he's pouring out his spirit and crazy things are happening and then crazy things are happening the next day in a very different type of crazy. So circumstances cannot be your thermometer for how God sees you. The cross is the evidence of how God feels about you. Your circumstance is only defined by the cross. Your pain can only be defined by the cross. It's not defined by what's happening in your home. It's not defined by what's happening in your love life. It's not defined by what's happening in your body. It's not defined by what's happening in your bank account. It's only defined by what's happened on the cross. That's how God feels about you. And let me tell you, I, I, I've struggled just like anyone else in this situation. I remember, and I've shared this story with you before, but I'm going to share it a little, a little bit differently and not, as, not the entire story. But some of you know that about a little over seven years ago, almost seven, about seven years ago, my daughter was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And her diagnosis was a traumatic event for my family. She was life-flighted from a hospital in Lincoln, Illinois, to Peoria, Illinois Children's Hospital. Like in, in, in what could only be described as a diabetic coma. And I'm flipping out. They told me, the, the, the helicopter pilot says, don't try to beat us to the hospital. I'm like, yeah, good luck with that. I got a friend who's a state cop. He's going to get me to the hospital. Probably as fast as the helicopter. Not really, obviously. But that's the way I was thinking. And then I remember looking at my daughter laying in the hospital bed, and all I could say was, God, why are you doing this to me? I serve you, I preach the gospel, I win people to Christ, I have sacrificed everything for you, my family, my friends, everything, and this, is, and this is exactly my thought process, so I'm just like you, and this is how you repay me? And then I have a moment of clarity, I'm like, as if I'm do anything other than death for my sin, that God owes me something. For whatever reason, it's, it's an irrational idea, it's an irrational thought, and I believe in that moment that God didn't love me. Now, I never would have said that from this platform. I never would have suggested that over a cup of coffee with anyone. But it's definitely how I felt in that moment that God did not love me because my 10-year-old daughter is lying in the hospital bed fighting for her life. So how could he possibly love me? The pain, that pain was a defining moment for my faith. The idea that my faith was connected to how I felt God felt about me changed my life. And after I had my little tirade with God, he wrapped his arms around me and I felt his love and his grace for my disobedience, for my doubt and for my lack of faith. And I humbled myself in the hospital room on my knees in tears crying out, God just love my daughter. It changed from why did you do this to me to love my daughter. And he did a miraculous thing. They said she'd be in the hospital a week. She was out in three days. They said that this was going to be a fight all her life. And, and, it, and it is. It's something that we have to deal with. But let me tell you, she, we have experienced so much victory with her type 1 diabetes and anything else. And even their doctors are like, this is crazy how this has played out. See, the pain that you're going through and what you're experiencing can actually absolutely be a defining moment in your life. It's going to define you one way or another. 
And if I would have lingered and held on to my frustration and my anger with God because of my pain, then I can promise you I would not be standing up here preaching the gospel today. I would have fallen away because that's what happens when we ride this roller coaster with God and we're high one day and low the next and we're hashtag God loves me and hashtag God hates me and we're riding this ride. You are going to eventually get tired. And tiredness will lead you out of the church. And then tiredness will lead you out of your faith. And you think, and you can sit and think, oh, no, not me. I'm tough. I'm tough too. And it will absolutely lead you out of your faith. And this plays out even the circumstance becomes the evidence of how God feels about us and not the cross. And, and then eventually, like I said, we walk away from church. And this plays out even in our story this morning. Let's look at more. Lazarus was dead, and he was dead four days. And in walks Jesus. Jesus arrives on the scene after Lazarus has been dead four days. Mary and Martha say the, say the exact same thing to Jesus, but he responds differently to both. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before, but let's look at it. In, chapter, in verse number 21. Verse number 21, the Bible says, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Ooh, does that sound familiar? That sounds an awful lot like, God, why are you doing this to me? Jesus, if you'd have just been here, he wouldn't have died. What were you doing? We told you four days ago he was sick. Why are you just now showing up? You're supposed to love this man. That's, that's what I hear. I don't know, but that's what I hear. And so he goes on and said, she says, but even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Then Jesus dropped a truth bomb on her. Understand, this has not taken place yet. What we celebrate as Resurrection Sunday has not taken place yet. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? She says, yes, Lord. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. So now Mary comes out. So Jesus' response to Martha is what it is. I am the resurrection. It's like, I, and this is, maybe this is an emphasis that's not there. Maybe it is. Maybe it's the way I creatively hear it when I read. But I hear, woman, do you not understand who I am? I am the resurrection and I am the life. If I have said there is life, there is life. What is the problem? Kind of same thing the disciples experienced the week before. When they're fearful about this boat, and he's like, what's wrong with y'all? I'm trying to take a nap. Didn't I say we're going over there? So, he's, so Mary comes out, and then let's, let's look at how he responds to Mary. Mary arrived and saw Jesus. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you only had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, if you study this scripture, you study the way each of these are brought to Christ, you find Martha, who's more indignant and if you read the way it's constructed in the, in, the, in the original language, it's more of an aggressive tone like, what is your problem? Where have you been? 
Martha, Mary comes with a whole different process. She comes and throws herself at the feet in utter despair and pain and tears, saying, Lord, if you were just here, my brother would not have died. She's weeping with Christ, over, over her brother with Christ. And when Jesus saw her weeping, verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. And he says, where have you put him? They told him, Lord, come and see. And then the Bible says Jesus wept. Shortest scripture in all of scripture, but Jesus wept. Martha came out, and in the midst of her pain, that Jesus would, couldn't be all that she thought he would be. And he even says, oh, I, I know that's who you are. But if you had just been here sooner, he might not have died. You could have healed him. She needed to be reassured that God was on the throne. Jesus knows everything and everything that we need before we need it. And in that moment, Martha needed to be reassured that God was still on the throne. Jesus re responded to her with a great theological answer. He said, I am still the resurrection and the life. And this encouraged her at a soul level because that's what she needed. Sometimes in pain, you need theology. Sometimes in pain, you need theology. What do I mean by that? Sometimes in pain, you just need to know what God said, he said that, that he said what he said. And you just need to know who you are and whose you are. It's not an emotional thing. It's not this weeping, crying out thing. Sometimes you just need to understand the book and who he said, I am the resurrection and the life. You need to have a right view of God in the midst of your pain. You need to be reminded that God is still on the throne. It doesn't matter what you experience and what you go through. You have to know that God is still on the throne. But when Mary comes out, Mary needed to know that God still cared. Two completely different approaches to Jesus. The same phraseology, two different responses from Jesus. Mary came out and she needed to know that God still cared. And when Mary was grieving and weeping at the feet of Jesus, Jesus wept with her. So you have to understand, church, that this, this Christ that we serve, he knows every single thing that you need. After all, he said in the very beginning, I am that I am. And what does that mean? Because that sounds like a, a, a theological answer. Let, let me just tell you a little bit of, of what that means. He says, I am that I am. So you tell me what you need. And he says, I am. Exactly that. You need love, I am love. You need grace, I am grace. You need mercy, I am mercy. You need provision, I am provision. You need discipline, yeah, I am the rod. I am that I am. That's Yahweh God who says, I am that I am. When Moses was troubled with how do I approach him, who do I even say this sentence? And he knew. He says, you tell him I am sent you. Because he knew what that response was going to get in the other people. So the same thing goes for you when you're pain, when you're suffering and you're going through something and you're dealing with something. It's real simple. Who do you say is sending you? I am has sent you. That's what makes all of heaven, that's what makes all of heaven rejoice and all of hell tremble. As you come in the name of the Lord, you need theology when you're struggling. You need to know that Jesus is weeping with you. When you're struggling. This is the nature and the character of who he is. 
He is there to remind you that he is still on the throne, that he cares. And our second game-changing perspective this morning is to understand that we have a caring king. He's not this, just this right hand of judgment, pounding everyone into submission, punching you in the mouth for asking questions. That's not the God that you serve. Questions are good. I ask God all kinds of questions. And I ask him, so I ask him foolishness stuff sometimes. I ask, I sometimes like to ask, I, I, I don't take these questions. You know, ask my kids, they know. I don't do the what if questions. What if questions are unanswerable? Well, what if this? Well, that didn't happen, so I don't know. I can only tell you what has happened, and that's the answer. You know, but I start to ask God crazy things like, what purpose does that spider serve? I'm acting foolish now, I know, but you, can, you have to understand you have a God that you can approach and ask questions. I don't think he had a problem with me asking him why my daughter is sick. I think if there was a problem, it was my, the way I was asking him. If there was a problem, it was my doubt in my faith. I forgot who he, who he was, and I forgot whom I was and who I belonged to. That's what he was more troubled by, not the question. We have a caring king. Psalm 34 says that God draws near to the brokenhearted. He doesn't push the brokenhearted away. He draws near to the brokenhearted. So when your heart is troubled, God draws near to you. That's his desire is to be close to you. These two game-changing perspectives, I believe, secure us in a difficult season. I believe that God is the closest to us in a difficult situation. But the problem we have is because he has not rectified the situation the way we believe he should have, we are now apart from God. Yeah, I get that what you're saying. Draw, God draws near to me when I'm brokenhearted, but he should have done this. Okay. Live in that for a while. Tell me how it feels. Tell me how it works out for you. Because according to scripture, we have no reason whatsoever to even question what God does, when God does it, how God does it, or why he does it. Matter of fact, in, in the book of Daniel, to the prophet, he said, you have no business even asking me why I do things. Now, our flesh and humanity will ask, and the grace of God will sometimes answer, but all the time forgive for the question. But that's the, that's, you have to come up with this sovereign idea that this is who God is, and this is where I am. And I have two choices, bury the pain or bury, my, or bury myself in the pain, not just walk through it. But I believe that God is closest to us in a difficult situation. Look at the story as we begin to wrap this story up in verse number 40. Jesus responded after he had asked them, where have you put them? He gave the instruction to roll the stone away. My guess is this man had been dead for four years. There's a smell that came out of, the, out of there with him. And so he says, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here. So that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave cloths. 
his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told him, unwrap him and let him go. So we have this unbelievable moment in Scripture, and everybody's so focused on this moment. Jesus just raised Lazarus from the dead. And, and, in, and in us, it's like, well, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Why won't he do this for me? But we're missing the entire point of the story because it looks like Mary and Martha got everything they needed in this story. It's almost like you look at this story and said, oh, well, that's just glorious. Lazarus got raised from the dead, but you know what? I, I can't afford to pay my bills or I can't this or I can't that or I can't. My marriage is broken and falling apart or my kids are walked away from Christ or, or all these or my parents don't or all they're doing is fighting. And You can have go all across the spectrum and this story doesn't seem to encourage you because you're suffering and you have pain. But I mean, how many of us would say if I'll go through some pain and suffering if I know the Lazarus situation is on the way? Anybody, I don't know anybody who would say I won't, I would, I would gladly suffer if I know that I'm going to be resurrected from the dead. So it looks like they got everything they need. But if you keep reading this story, guess what happened to Lazarus? He died again. They had to bury their brother twice. That doesn't sound all encouraging, does it? No, we stop at the miraculous. We stop with this because that's what makes us shout. That's what makes us feel good. But Lazarus died again. His family had to grieve him twice as a, as a result of him being raised from the dead, the Pharisees hated him and even wanted to kill him, Scripture says. See, we think that if we get what we want, then we're going to be happy. But let me tell you, by getting what you want, it's not going to necessarily bring happiness. It could very well bring more pain. Lazarus suffered and died again. Because here's what happened. And we're going to get to the point of this story now. Here's what happened. Lazarus was raised from the dead. Lazarus then died again. But when he was raised from the dead, waves of people left what the Pharisees believed to be truth and began to follow Christ. Waves of people left because of what they saw, because of what they experienced. Some believe, even some theologians believe, that it was just a few weeks to a few months later when Lazarus died again, not to be raised from the dead this time. So what's the point of this story? I believe it's found in verse 45. Verse 45, I believe, sums up the point of this story. If worship team, you could come and get set. So we don't read verse 45 because in our Bibles, we don't read verse 45 with this because in our Bibles, it's separated with a different, different heading. You know, if you look at your Bible, there's all kinds of headings in your Bible. It breaks it down and says, okay, Jesus anointed at Bethany, Jesus' triumphant entry, and Jesus predicts his death. And that's kind of how we read Scripture. But this is what it says in verse number 45. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. I think people saw the glory of God in the midst of pain and believed. What did Jesus say? Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? 
that's what they saw. When Lazarus was raised from the grave, they saw the glory of God and they believe. And I believe this still happens today. God desires to redeem our pain. I believe he wants to give you a platform with it. Because here's what's happened. We experience pain and we experience suffering. And then that absolutely turns into a testimony and a powerful moment that God has in our lives that we then get the opportunity and a platform to preach it. Whether that be in a church or that be on your job, that be in a taxi cab, that be on the sports field, it be in your acting class, it be in your drama class, it be anywhere that you are, you have the ability to share what God has done. It could be in the prison. You have the ability to share the and suffering that you have endured and the glory of God that has come from it. That's the point of the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. Not the miracle of him being raised from the dead because after all he died a short time later again. It's so that those will see the glory of God and believe. So when you endure something difficult, people listen to you differently. Anyone in this room who has suffered an illness with their child and they hear that I've suffered, they listen a little bit differently. Anybody in the room who has suffered with any kind of addiction, if they heard that I suffered with a similar addiction, they would listen to me differently. Anybody, and I point out my very good friend Nate, anybody who spent years in prison who goes back into the prison, they listen to them differently than they would listen to me coming in. Because that's the way it works. Your testimony gives other people the ability to be set free. That's why you face suffering. That's why you face pain. Not just because we're in a fallen, broken world. That's why it comes. But what God wants to do with it is set other people free. But let me tell you, when we wallow in our pain, we are wallowing in our own self-pity and we are selfish. I know it hurts. And I know me saying that hurts. But it's the truth. Because God has given us the ability to overcome our pain. The nature of pain is to shrink us into the size of pain. But the nature of God is to cause it to overcome in us and others. That's what pain is. The nature of pain causes us to shrink to its level. That's what its desire is. Let me pull you down to here so all you are is stuck in this little place and wallowing in pain. But the nature of God is let me show you my glory. Let me show you what I can do. You can allow pain to bury you or you can bury it and pretend it never happened. Or because of who God is, and what he has designed for us, you can use it as a platform for others to believe. Pain always provides a platform for you to stand on. It does. It's what are you going to say when you stand up? Because the person who's shouting, hashtag God loves me, hashtag tell me God won't do it, is shouting that when things are good and when things are going horribly wrong. That's the platform. That's the platform. When I look out into this room and I see some of the faces that I see, I see people whom I know are going through some things. Some of it because I've been clued in and I've been told. 
others of it I've just experienced and I've discerned but I know that people are going through some pain and I look and see the platform and what they do with it and let me tell you I see some folks who hashtag God loves me in the midst of their hell that they're going through and I see some other folks who are hashtag why me God God will give you a platform so let me make this very practical for you with one thought Use your platform to point to the Father. I don't share anything that I share for any other reason except to tell you this is what God can and has done and will do. Use your platform to point for the, to the Father. Because let me tell you, the more your platform and your speech points to him, the greater your platform becomes, the more influence you end up having. And guess what that leads? That leads to God's favor even exploding and manifesting in your life more than you could even imagine. And not just in what you have, but in what people have experienced out of your voice. And that's what matters. One of the things I've always said is I, I, I am secure in the fact that the day will come and I will be with Christ. I am very secure in my salvation. I, I fully have a full theological, doctrinal understanding of salvation, and I understand that I am saved. I also understand that I am stupid, and that I make mistakes, and I mess it up. But I have no problem standing up here and declaring my salvation as well as my stupidity. That I am just like everyone else trying to figure out life. I just got a microphone to do it. You have a platform. Let that platform point everyone around you to the Father. Don't, this is going to sound contradictory, don't waste the pain that you're experiencing. Don't waste it. God does not desire you for you to waste it. You will have pain in this life. And if you think you're in pain now, guess what? You're going to be in pain again. You think you're suffering now, you'll be, in, you'll be suffering again. And let me tell you what my pastor has told me. And I can't stand this. And every time I say it, my heart pounds. And every time I say it, my, I, I have to fight back tears. But my pastor told me, Mike, if you ever want to grow and experience the glory of God, the measure in which you are, will grow is the measure in which you're willing to suffer continue moving forward.